Well, on Collective Conversations today, my special guests are Catherine and Anthony from MediaWise. Welcome. Thanks for having us today. Yes, and uh, tell me about MediaWise. Well, Catherine and I started working together probably about, it's probably about seven or eight years yeah. ago where we've started crossing paths professionally. And particularly over the last year, we've seen this real shift in the way business journalism and, and technology journalism has been happening. And in particular, there's so many companies entering the fray now as startups that have no media training and literally getting thrown in at the deep end and have no clue about to how to handle the media conversation. So we're trying to help them tell their stories in a way that's engaging and helps them not only tell their stories but also engages them with the communities that they're, they're working with so that they can you know, get better funding opportunities, tell customer stories and just get out there in a more positive way. So it expands that whole media training into other areas. Yeah, I guess one of the things is around messaging as well. Like we try to help them not just tell stories but also you know, tell the right stories. Um, so many businesses get out there but as soon as they start speaking to the media, they're like deers in the headlights and they really just get lost in the detail of what they're doing. And we found that, you know, we've spoken to a couple of startups. There was one, for example, um, who was manufacturing a motorbike and so deep into the technology of what he was doing that he kind of got away from the fact that he was designing mass transportation. And I think that there's a lot of um, startups that are entering into the media that don't always realise the basics of dealing with a journalist, that everything is on the record and there's a whole range of things that we cover that they'll need to know when they're doing media interviews. That's really interesting, about on the record, ha- yes. About how to handle journalists <laughs> yeah. and, and what how they work. Mm. They need to understand that if they're going to be able to do it well. Yeah, and But even on the record, you might be having a conversation and say, oh, this is off the record. So you might be at lunch with a journalist you say, oh, this is off the record. It might be off the record then, but the journalist in five years down the track remembers a conversation yes. but forgets that bit was off the record. So it's never off the it's, record, is it? It's never off the record. Everything's on the record. So if you don't want to see it in print, then it's best not to say it. Now, Catherine, you just mentioned before about the changing media landscape. How is it changing as far as media goes and media training and getting your message out there? It's more competitive than ever. I mean, Anthony can talk about some of the cutbacks that have been happening in the media, but there's been thousands of job losses um, with journalists over the last few years. Um, Meanwhile, in PR, there's thousands more jobs being created You've got some of the stats there, I think. Yeah, look, I, I was looking at the numbers the other day from the from the MEAA, the Australian Journal, the union that looks after Australian journalists. There's been basically ten journalists a week lose their jobs over the last five years. It's about three thousand journalists have lost their jobs over the last five or six years, and at the same time, about twenty two thousand more PR have been hired into the industry. Oh, so the, it used to be that. You know, there was thousands, thousands of journalists and a handful of PRs trying to get into them. And the, the equation has flipped almost completely now. So journalists are well and truly outnumbered by PR, which means there's a lot more people pushing stories out there. The business dynamic is very different as well for journalists. You know, I said it before, we were, when I started, I'd publish a handful of articles every month. And it'd be like on the 20th or so of every month, the editor would expect some copy to arrive. I'd put the stories in. Three or four weeks later, they'd be in print and we'd be off. Now, we literally got outlets that are publishing every 15 minutes or 30 minutes every day during business hours, plus over the weekends on probably slightly slower schedule. The volumes are just 
the maths is completely different. But how does that make sense? How does it add up when you're getting rid of journalists, yet you're getting more content out there? <laughs> so there's more opportunities for thought leadership and opinion pieces, definitely. But the big challenge for companies and spokespeople is how you're going to stand out and cut through. And journalists' inboxes are just filling with you know hundreds of pictures every day. And if they can only write one or two stories, how are you going to be there? So that's kind of key for the media training is to understand how journalists work and understand what they're looking for, what makes a story, so that you can actually stand out and cut through and then develop yourself as, as an expert commentator in your field and then be invited to write some thought leadership pieces and, and opinion pieces as well and contribute in that way. So let's unpack some of that. How does a journalist work and how do you stand out for a journalist today? It's kind of interesting. I, during our media training, I actually show our um, candidate, the people we're training, I show them a picture of my inbox from a, from a typical morning. So I actually just you know take a screenshot of my inbox and go, this is what my inbox looks like after I've deleted all the noise. And it usually ends up with about six messages an hour that I think are probably stories that I might think about reading or writing about later on. And that's a cull where I've probably knocked out about 10 or 15 already. Now, let's come back to that, your inbox. So, therefore, the PR person is pushing it to email. Now, you know, in the old days, you'd have to pick up the phone and you'd have to ring the journalist and make sure that you made contact with them or text them because otherwise you're assuming they've read what you've sent them in your inbox. Well, look, my, my voicemail message says, don't leave me voicemail don't, messages don't unless you're my dear Anthony. Auntie Mary who's 83 <laughs> years old and is the only person allowed to leave me voicemail. Um, but otherwise, I just I don't have time to respond to voicemail. Like I can process an email in a couple of seconds. A voicemail takes me, dial the number, wait for the phone service to come through, determine whether I'm going to hit one or five to keep or to kill the message. You know, that's a, that's a much more time-consuming process. I'm getting over 100, 100 typical days, at least 100 pitches in a day through various press releases. All right, but then you've got the PR person that's sitting in the office and has been told by their boss to ring the journo, check has the journo answered, and you don't know if you just sent them an email. Do you respond? I mean, you're, are you a good journalist to responding or you just don't <laughs> read the emails? Oh, good is such a relative term. <laughs> Look, I, I try to respond. I, I, I frankly, in the course of the time we were waiting downstairs to come and do this, I had about three or four phone calls that I know were from PRs following up emails that they sent me within the last hour, an hour and a half. I just don't answer those phone calls now. I just don't have, I actually don't have the capacity to answer those calls and read the emails and actually write the stories that I've got to write for a typical day. So then how do you have the relationship with the PR person? Uh, is that a thing that's gone by the wayside as well? No, but I think PRs have to really work with their clients on finding the story and finding the hook and getting that in the subject field. So catch Anthony at hello. Um, if he's not interested, he's not going to respond, which is the case with most of the journalists. So we find that if you're you know, just following up, if they're interested, they'll come back to you. But it's really about getting your spokespeople ready so that they can articulate their stories in an engaging way and catch the journalist's attention. So there's that whole piece of work that has to happen with the spokesperson to make sure that they are good media talent. And there's only a handful of companies that I would say would send a blanket press release to hundreds and hundreds of journalists at a time and would get response, you know, and you can count those companies on one hand. They're like the Apples and Microsofts and those sorts of businesses that are global brands and when they say something, it kind of matters to a lot of people. But the PRs that I have the best relationships with are the ones that actually go, I know that Anthony's writing about these five things at the moment and I know he's got a particular interest in these other things and they'll target something specifically at me and say, hey, can you go and do this? You know, are you interested in this story? So, you know, last year I was writing a lot about AI and ethics. 
Um, and people who understood that I was doing that actually targeted stories in that way. And it meant that they actually cut through the noise. They got me at that hello with a subject line that said, you're writing about blah, 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 I've got this. That's the subject line I was going to ask about then. You know, if you've only got that short moment, it's probably so important to capture you in the subject line. Subject line, first paragraph. You know, it's 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 kind of journalism 101. You put, you put the money shot up early because if you want people to read the story, you've got to have a headline and you've got to have an open, a good opening lead. Um, don't you know, it's old journalism maxim, don't bury the lead. Um, <laughs> so many do. <laughs> <laughs> and so many do. And it's, you know, even things like putting stuff in file attachments, not having spokespeople available, all those kinds of things. All of those things make a really big difference. And I think for PR people, it's about really targeting the journalists. So it's not thinking in terms of media releases all the time. They're only important for certain occasions. But otherwise, it's really targeting your pitch to a journalist that you know is interested in that subject. So getting to really understand what the journalists are writing about, read what they write, and helping your client kind of cut through there. So when you said that um, the journalists are by the wayside as far as they're getting rid of them and there's more PR people, are we seeing more journalists going into PR, crossing over to the dark side? <laughs> yeah, the dark side is, you know, what do they say? You come to the dark side yes. and you have cookies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. I think certainly some have chased it, not just because there's obviously good financial benefits. I think they get to reuse their skills in a different way. What's interesting for me, and I've only ever freelanced, I've never worked as a full-time journalist inside someone's newsroom or in an office, um, the flex- you need to be much more flexible as a journalist now. Um, so I find that freelancing is great because I can actually dabble, I guess, on both sides of things. And predominantly I work in journalism, but I do do some other copywriting for other companies and things as well, which supplements. And it's actually helpful because it builds relationships with people so that when I do write a story about something – I've actually got way better background and experience and it helps that I've had some corporate experience as well. Now, it's interesting you describing what, um, you know, the media landscape is at the moment. So your clients at MediaWise, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that, yes, there's a benefit for companies and the spokespeople to take the training too, but also these publicity and PR agencies that have a host of, uh, you know, young startups. They're the first quite green behind the ears. You'd, I mean, they need to hear the messages too. We have been discussing this and talking about intern training um, and actually helping, you know, get them up to speed and understand the landscape and how it works now. So agencies are hiring um, often straight out of university, but they haven't had any experience in newsrooms. And there is that whole piece of, you know, education that they may be missing about how it works today in the real world. Um, so that's one of the things that we've been talking about is whether we, you know, build in some training for interns for PR agencies. And we've scoped that out a little bit. We talked to a few agencies and said, you know, would this be a thing that you would find useful, particularly with hiring juniors that are coming straight out of college and whatever? And they've said, oh, absolutely. Because for them, if they can reduce that that startup ramp from six months to two months, it's a huge benefit for them. And it's also a huge benefit for that individual who can come in and say, hey, we've actually learned from someone and from people who have been in this for 20 years, they've given us a two-day intensive and we, we actually feel much better equipped to do our jobs. And it can become part of the induction process, we think. So we're certainly investigating that and think there's a huge opportunity. Oh, I think it's desperately needed just from experience in <laughs> yeah. uh, those agencies. Yeah. Now, going back to your clients, if uh, MediaWise comes in, how you know what's the process of getting someone up to media speed? Well, we start off with media training. So we take them through how it all works and we explain the, what's required of a spokesperson, um, what journalists are looking for, what they're going to need to be able to succeed. Um, we go through all the theory. And then we go into the practical. Um, Sounds a bit boring though. How do you bring it to life? <laughs> 
Um, look, we've we got do some it in a very engaging way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. And the other thing is that we, we change it to suit yeah. each client. So, you know, we've got, like everyone who's doing this kind of thing, we've got some stuff that we think is basic and everyone's got to cover but we make sure we actually specifically target it to the to the company we're dealing with. So if we're dealing with a um, like a Silicon Valley startup style of company, we'll obviously say, look, these are the sorts of publications and stories you should you might be thinking about, and this is how you might engage on them. If we're talking to someone from information security space, it's obviously a very different type of storytelling that they need to be able to think about. Um, if they're coming from a very technical field, we try to help you know say to them. You know, you've got to be able to elevate from the technical up until the heli- to a helicopter view. So we customise it to suit everyone yeah. each time. So while there's some commonality that goes through each session, it's, it's, we really focus on targeting. And that comes from the investigation we do before we even start. Yes. Yeah, so we target to the sector that they're in and the type of journalists they're likely to be engaging with. And together with both of you, because you've got such a wide experience of different sectors, haven't you? Look, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. Like I came out of um, being a school teacher in the very beginning of my work career, then I worked for 20 years in corporate IT. So I've kind of heard all the technical BS that can come out of people trying to sell you products. And I can sit there and go, hey, that actually isn't going to fly. If you want the real story to come through, you need to rechannel your language in a different way. And often it's the people know what they want to say. They just, just struggle with the how. And um, Catherine, I know that you're really big on that thought leadership and being able to help a client, you know, as you spoke earlier about opinion pieces. Just take us down that track. So they're very useful to help, you know, get a client um, exposure in the media and actually share their views. But some of the key things that they need to be able to do is actually take an opinion. They need to take a stance um, and have a view. Um, the other way to do it is to, you know, educate the market. So it might be more how-to type pieces, um, how to solve challenges or problems or things that, that their customers might, you know, be struggling with. So we write those the different art outlets um, and it does depend on their industry and which um, publications might accept them not all do but that's one of the things of sort of understanding what they're running and keeping it topical but the value in that for the for the client is the byline so they get to you know actually control that piece rather than actually having another journalist write it so and for often we find that they actually can't write them very well themselves they have a lot of ideas and then so they actually need to be packaged up and written professionally to secure the best chance mm. of placement and one of the things that we've found is that because of the experience that we bring into this is that we know what publications are going to best like particular types of stories and we also because we read quite widely we understand the different styles of what people are looking for in different publications so when an op-ed or a thought leadership piece gets penned for a, for a client we tend to say if it's going to go to this publication they're going to want it in this particular style they're going to want this word count they're going to want it built to this template with this style of heading and that's so we can actually customise and build that for them because we've got the experience of having done it before and worked on both sides of that fence. I think it's quite exciting with MediaWise because just listening to you, you know, I've worked with a lot of media training companies and it's you know, it's still that format where you interview, you play back, you do this, but the landscape, as you said, has changed so much that uh, you keep evolving with it, even you know, the online, the SEOs and how many words and all of that. And uh, you know, that's changing all the time and you guys are like up to speed with it all. Yeah, you just kind of have to be. I mean, the media training is about presenting the best possible story and presentation for your company. If you want to go out there and be on the record, you need to do the right thing and actually be prepared for that. And we, you know, we've spoken at length between ourselves. The number of times we've talked to businesses and we ask them, so do you have a finance strategy? Do you have a marketing strategy? Do you have a disaster recovery strategy? And they got something and I said, so what do you do when you talk to the media? And they're like, oh, we just show up. 
you know, it's like it's like yes. going to the accountants at Christmas, yeah. you know, at the end of each financial year and saying, here's a box, do with what you will. But then that's again perhaps going back to that um, green publicity company that calls themselves PR and does media. And so, you know, they just believe as long as they get their client to show up, mm. that's it and give them a brag book or whatever without that training. So that's why it's, you know, what they say is so important. Look, I do radio quite frequently and I don't show up for a radio slot without a bunch of notes prepared ahead of time. Like I know what I'm going to be talking about and I know that even if something comes out of left field, and I do talk back. I get people phoning and asking stuff randomly over the phone. At least I know that when those questions come in, the other stuff I'm ready for. So I can deal with all the easy stuff because I've relatively easy stuff because I've done the preparation. So if something comes out of left field, I'm ready. I can actually, you know, dedicate enough brain power to deal with that. Now, here's something out of left field, though. When you mentioned radio, I find so many companies and clients um, disregard radio. They forget about it, yet it is still such a relevant medium. Look, I think it's huge. The, the number of people that are just tuning in randomly when they're in their cars, and if you think about how much time people spend in a car, for example, it's a huge thing. Like, it's, it's a great opportunity to get out there and present a story. And often it's a much more engaging type of story because unlike TV, which kind of lives in nine-minute grabs or nine-second grabs if you just want to talk about audio that gets captured every now and then, you've actually got an opportunity to have a conversation with a radio presenter. Um, so I had the experience the other week and I was on ABC Radio in Melbourne and the person who was on before me was the biggest Bollywood star in the world. I didn't know who he, I didn't know him from a bar of soap. But what was interesting was that in the conversation he had with the presenter that day with Raf, he said, oh yeah, I don't follow anyone on Twitter, but I read everything that's ever said about me. So he knew what Raf had been saying, you know, what the presenter had been saying about him on Twitter. And they actually had a much more interesting conversation and the engagement with listeners was huge. And that can go with any business, you know. If you sit there and talk about this, you know, it's an opportunity you've had. Presenters are really skilled at being able to actually bring that out through the conversation, but you've got to be prepared for that and have done that homework ahead of time. And that's one thing good PRs will do is that for every interview that they put their client up for, they'll do a backgrounder and they'll explain who the journalist is and provide them with all that information and the recent clips that they've written or recent links to any audio that they can listen to so they can actually get a really good understanding of that journalist's style ahead of going into the interview and be as prepared as possible. Now, I know we're going to talk about it in another episode, but just uh, you mentioned before, Anthony, about Twitter. So, you know, again, it's all our social mediums, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You know, what's the basics that everyone should be on as far as if you want to be in business? <laughs> It, it's really interesting. We keep having yes. this little debate between ourselves about whether, do we need an Insta account for our business and things like that. Look, because of the I think it varies depending on what you're doing. If you're working in a very visual medium, and say, for example, if you're in property, pictures matter a lot. So you want to be on Insta because you want people to actually see what you're doing. Um, I still think I think Facebook's valuable. It's consumer market. But market, only but around the consumer yeah. markets. I think yeah. Twitter is valuable only because it engages you with a really broad audience. And sometimes you just don't know where your next opportunity is going to come from. So if you're talking about an audience that's got literally millions and millions of people, you don't know. You could, you can get lucky. We tweet reasonably often. Yes. 
um, because we see that as being valuable for the particular type of business we're in. And the media lives inside Twitter. That's what it's I was about a huge to say. deal. Almost every journalist in Australia is on Twitter. So all the PR should be following them. And also mm. for companies trying to build a connection and a relationship, also follow the journalists. You can see them share their opinions, what they're working on. Sometimes you get story leads that way. They actually say, I'm writing on this. If anyone you know out there has a comment, let me know. So you can direct message them as well through Twitter. It, there are a few other cool. things as well. LinkedIn's reasonably yeah. reasonably useful. I think things like Source Bottle, putting yourself on Source Bottle yeah. as an expert that can talk about a particular topic is a really useful thing to be able to do as well. So if you're a, you know, whatever it is that you do, whether you're a property developer or a software writer or whatever, actually being able to put yourself on Source Bottle and say, I'm an expert on these three or four particular things and I'm happy to speak to anyone. That's a great way to actually build some profile and do that as well. And I know this is a silly, but you know, since Source Bottle changed, it was a lot harder now to actually yeah. get on Source Bottle. Why yeah. did they change it? Like everything else. Isn't all change for the good? Isn't that <laughs> oh, how Apparently, t- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Anthony and Catherine, thanks very much for joining us today. Now, where can we find you? So, MediaWise with a hyphen in between the media and the wise, and the wise has got a Z in it. So, it's MediaWise.com is where you can find us. You can also find us on Twitter on media underscore wise underscore AU and Google. It's always the easiest way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.